Well, are we ready? Amen, amen. The uh, coffee crowd out, out there, just keep getting your coffee. We're good for right now. Uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to start off this morning, and you know, this is the Christmas season. And I wanted to welcome us into this Christmas season to talk about something that some of y'all may have heard me speak on. I know I, I did some similar things last year about the spirit of Christmas. And you know, one of the things that, that the Lord keeps putting on my heart is the fact that we tend to hear more negative about Christmas from people than positive. And I don't get that. I've never had that in my life. I've always been the kind of person that was like, let's put up the tree. Let's go, let's bake something. I mean, we're about to, this Friday, my family's going to get together and they're going to put candy and I'll put on 10 pounds. I'm good with it. I mean, that's what we're supposed to be doing around Christmas time is eating, being with family. And I love it. But you know, the reason why I don't understand some of this is because some people, they didn't have the family I had. They didn't have the traditions that I had. They didn't do the things that we did when I was a kid. You know, I think it's kind of funny because Kaylee... Uh, we were talking about this this week. Um, you know, my grandmother, Nana, she would, she would actually decorate the tree. We did all this different stuff. She would put, bake, I mean, just, there'd be more candy than anybody could eat. And every single year when the kids were coming up, my kids, her great-grandkids, there was a little mailbox that had my name on the side of it. But she started this little tradition where she would put a Hershey's Kiss in the mailbox and Kaylee would go get it. And so whenever the tree went up with the ornament that had, there was this mailbox that had my name on the side of it, Nana would go to her and say, I put something in the mailbox. And Kaylee would toddle in there when she was really small and she would open the mailbox and she would get a Hershey's Kiss and she would eat it. Well, that became a tradition. It became something that just continually happened. And I still remember, you know, when I was a kid and Nana would be like, hey, I, I'm doing this or I'm doing that. And you would say, oh, okay, that's just normal. That's a, a tradition that we tend to do. I mean, we would always see about this time of year, um, my pawpaw would always get in the friendship cake, um, you know, syrup that was like pretty much like 120 proof alcohol. I mean, it was what it was. It was a tradition. And see, what I want you to understand is that the spirit of Christmas, Jesus himself came to break some traditions and to add some traditions. And you'll be sitting there going, well, traditions, you know, we've, we've heard bad things about traditions. The traditions of men do different things to us, right? In fact, we'll, we'll actually see here, and I'm going to get into my message because, you know, I've got 87 slides and we've got to get through them somehow. So <laughs> we're going to get in there, okay? So I want to talk about the difference between traditions of Christmas, the traditions of Jesus, and the traditions of men. Because the traditions of men have a problem. They always have a problem. In fact, we can actually take a really good tradition and turn it into the worst thing that ever happened. And we're going to see something here. 
in Mark chapter 7, verse 5 through 13. And I will tell you, if you ever wrote, read some of these things, you're probably going to go, I read them, I didn't understand them. Believe me, I didn't either. I went and did some very in-depth studies on this and started finding out that some of these things, Jesus was mad about them, a lot more mad than you would imagine that he was mad, like table-flipping type mad. But in Mark chapter 7, verses 5 through 13, it says, In the Pharisees and the scribes ask him. Now, this is a theme that happens with Jesus and his disciples that the Pharisees didn't like what he did on a daily basis. And it says, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders? Now, he said elders, right? He didn't say the tradition of God. He didn't say the tradition of the law. He said the tradition of the elders. And it says, but they eat bread with unwashed hands. And he answered them and said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Now this is not a nice little thing. When he said hypocrites, he was screaming. I, I believe Jesus raised his voice multiple times in the Bible. We just don't know how, they didn't know how to capture it in the Greek, I guess. Because I think in this instance, Jesus turned around and said, you hypocrite. I mean, he was trying to be pointed. He wasn't like, well, let me just tell you where you're wrong. No, Jesus was upset. He called him a name. In fact, he called him a really bad name comparative because no one talked bad about the Pharisees. Oh, I'm not a hypocrite. I live according to God. Everybody's supposed to follow my leading. See, Jesus was saying your leading is leading people into hell. And so right here he says, well, did Isaiah prophesy to you, hypocrite? As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And in, in vain, they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He didn't say the commandments of God. He said the commandments of men. He said in verse 8, For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the traditions of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. Now I want you to understand, when it says here, hand washing ritual, Hand washings, whenever they talked about this, this word in the Hebrew was uh, Natella Yadadaman. And I'm not going to repeat that because I'll probably say it different the next time. But essentially, it was, it was created by the Sanhedrin. It was created by the, the, the religious sect to be able to have a ritual. So before you ate, these were the things that you had to do according to the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees. It said, you had to have a two-handled ceremony cup. So think about a coffee cup. And I've seen some of these online. You can actually buy them. They're, they've got two handles and you hold them like this. And basically you would, it was a, for a pouring and the, the handle, you would take your strong, dominant hand, and you had holy water, basically, in it. And you would pour water over your left hand, if you were right-handed. And you would do that twice. You would take, you had to have holy water somewhere. I guess if you're out in the woods and you're walking around and everything, you've got to carry a cup with you, okay? Now you've got to have a gallon of holy water that you have on your back, okay? And you're going through the woods. Hey, I just want to eat some nuts off the tree, so 
before I can grab these nuts off the tree and I can eat it, I got to get my, my big old cup with two handles on it. Got to get my, got to get my pack of holy water off my back. I got to pour it into the cup. Then I got to wash my hand once. I got to wash it twice on the left hand. Then I've got to do the same thing to the right hand. Then I have to say a prayer. Okay. And then once I say the prayer, I can eat my little nuts off the tree. Now think about this. How many people in society of this society was able to do this? Not very many. I mean, think about it. Only people who were maybe well off. How about the Pharisees and Sadducees? They walked around in these big robes and they did different stuff. That meant they didn't go outside very much. They, would, they had all the ceremonial stuff right there with them. So the rest of Israel was in sin according to them. Oh, you're not, y'all are in sin. You're not washing yourself before you eat. Well, I want you to understand something. In the actual law, you had to be clean and hygienic or you were in sin anyway. This was created as a ritual to be able to hold people to another standard. And see, it was the traditions of men that started putting people under bondage, undue bondage. And see, what I want you to understand is, is that, you know, when traditions of men are made up rules, they're there to control people. You know, I've been to lots of different places, churches, uh, in lots of different ways. Um, I've seen this happen. This is not just something that happened in the Old Testament or or during Jesus' time, and this doesn't happen nowadays. I know people who go to churches where you can't have short hair, you can't wear pants if you're a woman, you can't have, you can't go watch a movie. Oh, man. You can't wear makeup. Now, I want you to understand, there's, there's some probably good reasons why they wanted to do that in the first place. And it probably wasn't a controlling thing. But I remember Heather was talking about she dated this guy and the guy said, don't tell him you wear makeup. Like when, when you come to my church, don't tell him you wear makeup. So Heather had to act like I don't wear makeup or I don't go to the, I don't go to the, the movies or I don't do any of these kind of things. And Heather goes, I don't feel convicted by this at all. I, I'm perfectly fine with doing all these things. It's only you that are convicted by this. Now, as you can see, I'm a lot more free, so she went with me <laughs> rather than this other person that was completely just under bondage of ritualistic stuff. <laughs> but what I want you to understand is that sometimes traditions of men, they can be good. But sometimes they can be also added to something else in order to control it puts people who can't do in bondage. There's also traditions of men that was that during this time, especially, it goes against family. And I, I mean, I'm not going to give examples, but I can actually go and give you examples of different religions that actually, to this day, will will try to separate families. 
But here in Jesus' time, he was constantly trying to break religions of men away from people because people, the common people, could not follow it. And also, just like in this example, they didn't honor their family because of some of the traditions of men. Um, so essentially, uh, it, this is like the next verse. It says uh, in Mark chapter 7, it says, And he said unto them, All too well, you reject the commandments of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses his father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says unto his father and mother, whatever you profit or whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban. That is a gift to God. Now, I'm going to stop just for a second here because I want you to understand something. You know, these words right here, I believe Jesus was trying to be somewhat um, tongue in cheek. I, I, I love, I love now that I see the word for what it is, I sit there and go, Jesus sometimes was being funny, sometimes he was being tongue-in-cheek, and sometimes he was just straight up mad. Now, he was doing all this because the religious people were supposed to know better. You know, they're held to a more higher standard. I would say I'm held to a more higher standard than probably somebody else. Do you know why? It's not because God's holding me to a more higher standard. Y'all would be. If I come in here and I'm you know, smoking a cigarette, doing drugs, and I'm, you know, having affairs and stuff, there's going to be people that's going to have a problem with that. But the same type of thing could happen with somebody that comes in off the street, and we're going to be really nice to them and trying to give them a lot of grace in order to get them saved. See, this is what I want you to understand. Jesus was not talking to unreligious, un unknowing people. Because no one was saved at this point, so it, it really didn't matter at this point. He was saying, what is wrong with you that you're putting people under bondage, that you're breaking up families? Jesus is trying to get to the bottom of why he came back to give life. is to separate man's rules from God's rules. And it says here in verse 12, it says, then no longer... Let him do anything for his father and mother. Or let him be obligated to do anything for his father and mother. Verse 13 says, Making the word of God no effect your traditions which you have handed down and many such things you do. So Corbin, okay? Corbin was a gift to God to get out of a vow. So if you had a vow to someone, you would give a gift and essentially you would be forgiven of that vow. So if you'd made a vow, sometimes they would make a vow. Remember Paul, there was all these Jewish people that said, you know, Paul's not going to live, um, you know, or I'm not going to eat until Paul dies, right? Because they were wanting to kill him. Well, they had went to the temple and they made a, a Hasidic vow. They actually sat down and sacrificed and said, hey, I'm going to do this. Well, do you know that in the law... It said that you would honor your father and mother and that you would provide for them if they had a problem, especially when they got older. And see, this is what Corbin was. Corbin was something that the high priest had said, hey, if you come pay some money to the church, we alleviate you from taking care of your parents. And see, that's why Jesus was so mad. 
at them is because they were trying to take away people's obligation to each other. And you may be thinking, well, why were they obligated in the first place? Why didn't they just have relationship? Well, if you've been told all of your life, well, once you get out from under your parents, then you go live your own life and you don't worry about it. They created a society of not having relationship with your family. And little by little, it was honor your father and mother turned into just don't embarrass me. See, what happened here was, you know, they would pay for this, this vow to be gone. And then now, well, from, from this point forward, if the parents got in trouble or if they were too old to take care of themselves, it was actually against Jewish culture to even go and see them. Because you'd already paid the vow. You're getting back up under the vow if you go and do this. And you know why it was okay? I mean, don't feel bad for the parents because the parents did it to their parents. See, that's what happens when you actually have a tradition of men that continues on for hundreds of years. Because what would end up happening is, is that it was just a part of their everyday culture. It was just the way it was. And so I, I want you to take that into consideration of what we're seeing in today's society. Because we're not going and paying the church or going and paying somebody. But what we are doing is we're paying another type of sin penance. I mean, right now, in the midst of Supreme Court, what's happening right now with abortion? I mean, everybody's probably saw and been following that whole thing. See, it's another aspect of obligation. I created a kid. Now I go and I sacrifice to bail my kid. See, abortion is nothing more than just a sin tax. The taxes I pay in my emotions, I pay in my, in my thoughts, in my mind for the rest of my life in order to go and now have an abortion because I didn't want to take care of the problem that I created. See, there's no difference between what the Jewish people are doing and what our society is doing today. It is the same exact thing. You know, when you go and you look at things, and I don't want to stay on abortion. I know people have had them, and, and I'm, I feel bad for people who have because they live the rest of their life dealing with that. And it, it affects people. It affects families in ways that are, that are just go read the Internet. There are people out there that said, I did it and I wished I'd never had. I see that kid's face. They're paying for it with their own life and their own peace. But what I want you to understand here is that the spirit of Christmas came to try to bring family and obligation back together so that we would have, we would have relationship. If you don't have relationship, if you had tradition without relationship, you have something called religion. And religion is nothing more than I need, to, I need to, to do something in order to appease myself. In fact, I'm going to give you a definition of, of religion here in just a minute. And you, you'll be able to see it. In James chapter 1, 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like a man who observes his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of a man he was. But he, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the works, this is the one that will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious... And does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This one, this one's religion is useless. His ceremonial observance. See, what I want you to understand is that a ceremonial observance is I appeased my own conscience. I, I, I now paid my vow. I now did the things that I thought was right. And now I walk away from what I'm supposed to do. And see, when we, when we have that vow, when we talk to people, what I want you to understand is that our tongue will deceive our heart. Our heart is our belief system. The actual word heart in the Greek is cardia. It is the very most inner part of a thing. Our core beliefs, the more we speak, get changed. Do you know that I can sit here and talk to you guys and I can build you up and I can tell you, I can give you a vow of how awesome that you guys are. And you walk out of here and you go, man, I can go conquer the world. But I can also come in here and I can say, it's, it's going down. Oh, man. Look at the world. It's awful. We're never going to get anywhere. You know, we had some of these conversations with my son. Because the thing is, is without hope... You can't have a good future. Without understanding, you cannot create opportunities for yourself through the word. Do you know that a vow is nothing more than I am portraying what I promise to do? You know, I made promises to my wife that I would always be with her. I made promises to my kids that no matter how long... It takes, I'm going to make sure that they're going to have as good a life as I can give them. That is a vow that I have given to them. And I can break my vow. I can do the things that, that a lot of other people have done. But if I do that, then now we have a problem. Now all I have is observance. Well, the court may come and say, well, Dusty, give a certain amount of money. Well, that doesn't give love. Give a certain amount of time. Well, if they don't want to be there and if I don't want to be there. But see, a true vow that is to God is going to create relationship between you and God, between you and people. And see, God was never trying to separate us. He was never trying to get us to go to a place to where this was only an observance Church is not supposed to be a ceremonial observance either. You're not supposed to go in and go, okay, I did my, my penance for the week. It should be family getting together to be able to handle each other's love, loss. See, that's, that's what true family is. I'm going to take a drink because I am still healed. In verse 27, when it says, a pure and undefiled religion, <coughs> excuse me, before God, the Father, 
is to visit orphans and widows in their time of trouble and to keep one's unspotted, keep oneself unspotted from the world. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, the orphans and the widows that are troubled, those are people that just need to know what's next. They've had a vow broken in their life. <coughs> Excuse me. They've had problems in their life. And guess what? They're needing to know what is next. What are the things that God has for me next? And see, doers are not a part of just a function. They're not an observer. Think about this. <coughs> Last night, how many people watched the Alabama-Georgia game? Everybody. Everybody was rooting for Alabama. That was great. Um, <laughs> roll time. But the, the problem that came down to this is that we were all observers. We weren't doers. Do you know that not one of us threw that touchdown to Jamison Williams? That we didn't run the touchdown that Bryce Young did? We didn't do it. Now, I got news for you. I thought Dad was going to. I mean, he was pretty high, right? But, but at the end of the day, we were all observers. We weren't doers. And see, when we actually don't participate in something, but we also say, I have a part in it, we get crazy Alabama fans, okay? The Monday morning quarterback, the I'm calling into jocks and I'm going to tell them, well, Nick Saban just didn't do the right thing in the third quarter. If I'd, if I'd been out there, I'd have, I'd have put in this other person and we would have scored 50 more points. You know that being a doer means that they should have been on the field getting broke up, Sweating, bleeding. They did nothing more than just watch a game. And see, what I want you to understand here is that when we just have religion and we just have a ceremony and it really had nothing to do with anything, then we're just an observer. And we go through life with this idealism that, that everybody either owes me something or I have no hope in something. There's, there, and you can see it. There's a divide in our country right now because there's people that are just, they're going through life and they're trying to figure out, what do I do next? What is next for me? And see, they never turn back to God and say, hey, God, show me what is next. See, I, I want to show you that an observer is not part of an event and that they forget who they were. How many times have people seen Christmas was never the same since grandma passed away? How about this one? Remember the good old days? You know, I played football in high school. I never went beyond that. I've still got people on my Facebook that, that talk. I mean, we went to the Thompson game the other night. Good night. I actually had a couple people I played football with. You remember back 28 years ago when you played in the state championship game? And I'm like, yes, I do remember that. But this is completely different. That was so long ago. See, I went from a doer to an observer. And now I'm trying to not really say as much about that kind of stuff. And the reason is, is because 
If I lived in the good old days, then basically I don't see that there's going to be good days ahead of me. You know, that's usually what happens when somebody uses one of these two types of phrases is they say, I don't foresee that the future is going to be better for me. You know, I'm 44 years old. I work and there's all these young people that are coming in. And you know what? I was the young person 10, 15 years ago. And when I, 10, 15 years ago, it was like, oh man, get all these old people out of the way. Can I just get them out of the way? Because if I can, man, I would change this place. Now that I am the old person, there's people going, if I could just get Dusty out of the way. (laughs) You know, this is the thing, is that whether it's been taught to us or it's just a societal type thing, I don't know what it is. But what we've done is we've we've created a, a number line. Do you know that today you can't discriminate against people for their age over 40 years old? It's like a federal law now. And... Although I'm over 40 and thank God no one can discriminate against me because I'm now over 40 because of my age. I'm still sitting here going, it's sad that we have to put a law to where we don't look and say that the older people have something to offer. See, I was sort of taught that. I remember me and dad got, and I'm going kind of on a rabbit trail, but I remember me and dad were talking about, I was like, if I could just get rid of Social Security and not have it taken out of my paycheck, I'd just put all that into a 401k. And dad was like, yeah, you got to pay for my Social Security. You got to just keep, you just need to keep paying into it. And hopefully it'll be there when you're there. You know that we all think selfishly. We all think about our own way of life. And wherever we're at in life, we sometimes go, you know what? The good old days was the good old days. And that's never going to happen again. You know what? I'm going to tell you what. I don't care if you're 15 or you're 20 almost or you're 44 years old or you're 70. You know God's got more for you. You know, there's more traditions that at 70 years old you can create for people that are 15 than 15-year-olds are for 70-year-olds. 15-year-olds and 20-year-olds are not ruling the world. They've got their place in the world. But there's more people running this country that's over 70 years old. Just go and look at Congress. Go look at the White House. Go look, at, go look at businesses. There's more people over 55 years old that are running business. Now, they're trying to market to these people, to the 15 and 20-year-olds. <coughs> Excuse me. But what I want you to understand about this is that there are more good days to come. And what we have to understand is that especially if we're able to do the traditions for the next generations. <clears throat> so I'm going to get into the, how we can do this. So this is, the, this is the good part. Everybody needs to wake up. We're going we're gonna to write these down, right? So we're going to teach with our lives and not with our words. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. There are some people that they've never understood this, and they need to actually get the word first before they start putting it into other people. 
And I don't care if they're 15, 20, 70 years old. It doesn't matter. <coughs> Everybody needs to live up to this kind of standard where we understand it. So Proverbs 22, 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Well, I think, I think there's, you know, I know a lot of 50s and 60 and year old people that I've worked with and I've been around, and I don't think they were trained up when they were a child. I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I'm sitting here going, the way they... I don't know if they were not raised right or whatever, but then they told their kids and, and their kids were not raised right. And, and it's starting to create generations of people who are against everything that we stand for. And see, what I want you to understand is, is that if you don't allow people to have traditions together, then what they're going to do is they're going to create opportunity to separate and we become a more separated society. Hey, Facebook is about to create meta. Y'all can all get a headset and you can just go anywhere you want to in the world. That sounds like an awful idea. What we need to be doing is we need to be teaching our kids and teaching through our life. Living life together so people understand. Titus 2, it says, 2.1 says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That the old men may be sober, reverent, uh, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. He's talking to several groups here, okay? So if you're an old man, you still need to be all of these things. You need to be sound in doctrine. You need to be sober. So don't go around drinking, okay? That's not really what that truly means. But, I mean, you still don't want to, like, you know, have a snootful and try to go talk to people. But being sober and reverent basically means that I'm going to be clear of mind. You know that sometimes we can be so unclear in our thinking that we portray the wrong thing to people. I'll give you an example. And I've known people who have done this. What they do is they have it in their mind that one thing is going to make the situation better. Like if I was to sit here and tell you, well, you know, your power bill is going to go up because I work for the power company. I don't know if it is. So this, I'm not a spokesman for the power company. I'm not telling you that it will. But if I was just going to tell a bunch of people, hey, your power bill is going to go up, does that give you all comfort? No, that's not going to give you comfort. You're going to sit there and go, by golly, I, my power bill doesn't need to go up. See, what I want you to understand is that I can be sober of mind and I can sit here and go, yeah, I, I mean, things are going up, but I'm going to try to put more into you than try to take out of you because I can either incite hope or I can incite a riot. I hope everybody understands this. I, being sober of mind means that I am giving the right message to you guys, maybe I'm not being sober of mine right now. I don't know. Maybe I need to get a snootful. But what I want you guys to understand is, is that being sober of mine means that I'm giving you the right message. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not giving you misinformation based upon my feelings. 
Because right now, if I said, well, you know, everything else is going up, the power bill is going to go up too. Well, that would be misinformation because I don't know anything about that. Maybe that makes a little bit more sense. But what I want you to understand is that we have to live our life not giving our, our thoughts on things. We have to give our, the truth on things. Because if I give you the truth about everything and I keep my mouth shut about everything else as an old man, then now I have wisdom. Because I'm giving you truth and I'm not giving you my thoughts. Because if I give a 15-year-old my thoughts on things, well, it's going to come from a 44-year-old's perspective. He's going to take it completely different and he's going to be afraid of life. See, we're supposed to be building people up and we're supposed to be giving them, you know, things that they need. Love. It says, be sound in faith. Well, if the word says that we're not going down, then I need to be sound in faith. I need to be sound in love. God loves us and he's going to have great things for us. Be patient. Older women, likewise, be reverent in behavior, not slanderous, not giving them much of wine. There's the snootful. Um... Teachers of good things that, that they may admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. To be discreet, chastened, homemakers, good, obedient in, to their husband. And then the word of God may not be blasphemed. See, that's what we have is we have a whole generation of people that are trying to do the opposite of them. And then now the word of God is being blasphemed all over the place. Well, God's not real. Oh, you've got old thinking. It's racist now to be, to be a Christian. That's what people are coming out and saying. You know why? It's because at some point in time, somebody's going to go, I don't like what you believe, so I'm going to create another belief system. And see, the older men don't need to be giving what they think. The older women don't need to be given what they think. They need to speak the truth. They need to live life and not just have words. You know, we need to create opportunities, create traditions. You know, this Friday we're going to create some traditions. We, you know, Nana had the tradition of having candy and everything and she would make it. We're going to have some people come. They're going to make candy and it's great. But you know what? The thing, the thing about that tradition is, is it had nothing to do with the candy. I like candy. I mean, just take a look at me, okay? But do you know what? I loved my Nana more than I loved the candy. And I learned more from her sitting there while she sang to me when I was a kid, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. You know that when I had people, atheists in school that told me that I did not believe the right things because I believed in Jesus, that it was just like Santa Claus. Oh, Jesus is just like Santa Claus. You know, I had that happen to me when I was in fifth grade. I had that happen to me when I was in seventh and eighth grade. Oh, you're just, you're a baby. You believe in babyish things. You know what? I grew up and I believe in Santa Claus too. He used to go punch Gnostics and atheists in the mouth. That's what St. Nick did. He was a real dude, okay? And see, what we've done is we've taken the Coca-Cola Santa and we've put him out there with the polar bear. 
But the real Saint Nick walked around and hand out candy and loved on kids. And when a Gnostic walked up and said, there is no such thing as God, he walked up and he would pop him in the mouth. And he'd go, I'm not going to allow blaspheme to be spoken in front of these children. See, Santa Claus was a bad, you know what? Oh, I believe in Santa too. You say, I, th I think the spirit of Christmas and the spirit of Santa needs to pop up sometimes and us to go, we're going to stop some of this blaspheming. We're going to take some of these words and I'm going to impart them into my son and my daughter and into my, and into my goddaughter and into other people and say, no, 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 we're going to create traditions to where we love each other. Because that's what's more important than making candy on a, on a Friday afternoon. It's, did I learn something from, from Dusty? Did I learn something from Dad? Did I learn somebody from, from these people that I was around? See, creating traditions is creating opportunities for family and friends to create patterns. You know, if you create a pattern with your family, it's awesome. Because they get to know you. They know when they can talk to you. See, I have one son that he, I have my son, he, he gets up early in the morning. That's when he wants to talk most of the time. I've got a daughter in the back. She's like me. She wants to talk about everything at like midnight. So I have to know my patterns and I have to create traditions and opportunities for people to be able to talk to me, especially my family. See, we, Christmas is a time for family and friend to create patterns that will continue for future generations. We have to do it. If we don't, we will lose it, and the spirit of Christmas will not be taught, and the spirit of Christmas is Jesus Christ. So this is my last slide, okay? I know this has been somewhat unorthodox. I, I want you to understand that, that I'm not trying to teach you uh, about Jesus' birth I'm trying to teach you about what God's intention for Jesus was to do was to come and break some of these traditions and to create some new ones. That if you're in a part of your life where you're saying, hey, I, I have nothing else to live for. I'm waiting for Jesus to come back. Well, God is sitting up in heaven. The Holy Spirit is coming and trying to talk to you right now. And he's trying to go, no, you're supposed to be creating some traditions for the next generation. This is your job. This is your duty. You're supposed to be the next generation's pattern. See, a pattern can be, we're going to go in a figure eight, and that would be a figure eight pattern, right? But I can also be dusty, a pattern for my son and for my daughter, to where they mimic the life, and that I'm a pattern that is cut out by God, for them to say, the next time I don't know where to go and what to do, you ever heard WWJD? What would Jesus do? Do you know that that's usually not where most people would go because if they went back to the word, most of them pick up the phone and go, WWDD, what you doing, daddy? How do, I, how do I do this? And see, if you're pointing them back to Jesus and you're trying to help them with their pattern of life, you're creating traditions of opportunities to where they'll always come back to you when there's problems. So, yes, making some traditions for the holidays, baking and decorating and eating and all that is great. Do it. 
find sometimes, you know, it's not what you do, it's how you do it though. You know what? I also also I'm gonna I'm gonna warn against this. Don't create a tradition that nobody wants, okay? <laughs> I, I'm just gonna be honest with you. Don't create traditions that nobody gives a, a rat's patoot about, okay? Because think about this. You want people in your family, in your friends, to be able to go, I want to go do that with them. I mean, I'm pretty sure dad would make a tradition where it's like, well, let's go get wood out of a wood pile. Let's go do that. That's going to be fun. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do that. When I was a kid, it'd be like, okay, let's go rake some leaves. That's a tradition. It's awesome. You know what? That was a tradition I didn't want to keep up with. And it was not something that we were going to do. But you know what? One of the traditions that we do with my son now is we, we go to some Thompson games. We, we go to Alabama games. We sit down. We watch some football games. We have conversations. We talk about life. We talk about where we go next. You know, it's funny. We were going to Thompson, and Dad's asking Caleb about his, you know, oh, well, how, how's school going? How's all these other things going? You know that the ball game was fine. Thompson went in a state championship again, three-peat. Woo, go Thompson Warriors. But let me tell you, it was more about, hey, Caleb, hey, Papa Jack, how's your life going? See, it was an opportunity for us to have life together in a pattern. So let your life be a safe place for those, for those good times and healing. You know, there's some people that they have really bad things that happen to them in their life. Sometimes you just need to be a safe place for them to go. You know, create opportunities for conversations about life, their lives. Ask more questions about them than you give information about you. The gospel is for, is not forced, it's lived. You know, I've, I've actually tried to do this where you go knock, knock door to door do you know that you would go knock on 100 doors and you might get one person that prayed with you? Do you know that more than likely the person that prayed with you was like, I'm supposed to be out of here in five minutes. If I give them a prayer, I might be out in three. Hmm. Okay, I'm getting saved. Let's pray. Now, if that's the way that you want to live your life where it's just an obligation, it's a, it's a ceremonial service where, oh, I went and I witnessed to somebody well, then you may get some fruit from that. But, you know, I found that more fruit that I've gotten in my life is sitting down and having lunch with somebody at work. And we're sitting there talking. And the next thing you know, they're talking about their kids or their family or something that's going on. And I give them Jesus. And you know what? You see growth and you see growth and you see growth. There's a guy that I worked with years ago, and he kind of made fun of me about Jesus. But now he goes to church every single day. And he told me, now, this guy, I talked to him about Jesus 20 years ago. So like five, six years ago, I go to lunch with him again. I would not seen him in several years. And he tells me, I'm asking him about life. I'm asking him about his kids. And he's like, yeah, we're in church. And he said, every time when my kids were coming up and I would get up on Sunday morning, I would think about some of the things you told me. And I'd go, what did I say? Because I don't remember. I was just eating lunch with him. I was just talking to him. 
about Jesus. And sometimes he would be like, huh, okay. Do you know that I've had more fruit from having a relationship with people and not just walking up to somebody and going, hey, do you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? If you were to die today, would you bust hell wide open or would you bust heaven wide open? Now, I don't know if y'all ever did those campaigns. Those were very interesting because if you said it wrong, some people would be like, what? You're busting what? <laughs> be like, well, you're, are you going to bust hell wide open or heaven wide open? And people are like, I don't even know what that means. But see, that's what I want you to understand is that the relationships are the, the pieces of this. And see, rules are made to be broken, and I'm closing with this. We don't need any music or anything. 1 Corinthians 11, 24 and 25. We actually did um, you know, communion the other day. But it says, Jesus, this is Paul talking about what Jesus had done on the Last Supper, and it said, And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, Take ye all of this, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner that he took the cup, after the sup, he said, This cup is the new covenant of the blood. Do this as often as you drink it in the remembrance of me. What I want you to understand is Jesus came to kill a traditional religion. Because all they were doing is just putting more and more and more bondage on people. Things that people couldn't do. So you know what? It's a little bit like a pyramid scheme in some ways because it's a little bit like this. If you can't do what we're doing, just come to the temple and pay us a temple tax. And then we'll just, ta-da, you don't have to wash your hands twice with a double-handed cup. I mean, it would be about like if I came in here and I said, okay, before y'all sit down, you've got to do three twists and then you've got to do a backflip. How many people can do that? <laughs> Nobody. Well, guess what? If you can't do that, you know, we're really gracious here at Identity Church. Just go and put $50 in the, in the offering and we will, we will forgive your twist and backflip, um, you know, ceremony. That was pretty much the way it was. And see, traditions of men... We're starting to strip away everything that God wanted to do in people's hearts. And so he said, hey, I came to give you a new covenant. I came to give you something that was completely and totally different. And, it, and so one of the things that I think that Jesus came to do was he came to give us life and give it to us more abundantly. That's what John 3.16 says. It says, but these hurts and cares of the world... He came to actually give us the opportunity through his covenant. That's why in his remembrance, if you've got a hurt or if you've got a care, go and take communion. It is a beautiful opportunity for us to get repentance. It's an awesome opportunity for us to have healing in our body. It's an awesome opportunity for us to, to basically say, I'm going to right wrongs that have happened to me. I'm going to give them to the Lord because there was a covenant that was cut and I need to remember that covenant every single time something happens. And so hurts and cares are handled with care, hence the word. Not cold, hard truth. You know, if one of my kids came up to me and said, Dad, I've got this problem. And I go, stop it. Go on with life. How many people... Back, um, Bob Newhart, 
he did a thing a long time ago where, you know, he was a, he was like this psychologist and he had had a TV show. Well, he had a skit that he had done for, I think, Saturday Night Live or something where they come in and the person would say, you know, I just really like to steal things. I, I'm, a, I guess, a kleptomaniac or whatever. And he just would look at him and he'd go, okay, I can fix this, but it's going to take one session and our sessions are really high. And he was like, just one session? Yeah, it was like, it's $500 though. It was like, you can fix me for $500? It's was like, absolutely. It's like, okay, so... So the guy gives the $500 and he goes, okay, stop it. And he said, that's the end of the session. <laughs> you know, the cold hard truth is, is that saying stop it doesn't really help. But understanding how we live together, being able to take the time to be able to understand people's hurts, that's what Jesus wants us to do. That's where we're supposed to be in our traditions, create opportunities to be able to have care and not just cold hard truth you know truth can happen though but it happens through relationship you know if I don't know you and you come up and we talk about a problem that you had and I just give you a cold hard truth you're probably never going to talk to me again right but if you do come back to me and we keep having a relationship and keep having a relationship well, eventually I might be able to speak into your life and go, hey, stop it. Doesn't that sound better? Just, just stop it. No, we might actually be able to have a truth where I give you the word and, and that because of that relationship, I can help you through that problem. But see, truth always comes through relationship. It doesn't come with just, you know, I, I just, I kind of know this scripture. Uh, I don't really use it myself, but I'll tell you about this scripture. See, that's not relationship. That means that you didn't have a relationship with the word, but you're trying to give them some sort of secondhand information. Also, family traditions are a platform for relationship. Create some good ones. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm stopping right here. You know, this was... This was one of those things that I believe that Jesus was trying to give us opportunities as a, as a congregation, as a family, to be able to go into our families. Because, I mean, we have kids and grandkids and all these other people that are out here. And a lot of times we go, well, they're very busy or I'm very busy. And see, Jesus is wanting for us to be able to touch people's hearts and create opportunities for us to have relationship, have time, and have honor between mothers and fathers and friends and cousins and just people. You know that you're going to be the only Jesus that some people ever see. And if you don't create opportunities for you to be able to be accessible to people, find some good opportunities to be able to show people who Jesus is. You know, one of the things that in my own life, and, and I've, I've had this happen multiple times in my life, I've had people that were gracious enough to let me into their inner circle. And when I would get, get into their inner circle, I started realizing that they lived a life that had more hope than I may have had. Well, you know what breeds hope? Hope. You know, if I give you hope, 
then now you have hope. Now, from your hope, you can go out there and live a life of hope. Well, then if you live a life of hope, then you can live a life of faith because you can believe in the thing that you have hope in and now you can go and give hope to someone else. And see, slowly but surely, you get to be the person that shows Jesus to someone and then now when they go, you know, I'd like to be able to do this every single day without you, you go, well, then you turn back to Jesus. See, that was the beauty of what Jesus was trying to do when he came and said, go, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, I never understood that until I watched an Episcopal minister go and pray for a dog on one of the, I don't even, what, what, do, you, what do y'all call that? It's just like a, the blessing of the animals. You know that there was actually some people after they prayed for the dog that they, they were praying with other people. And you go, well, hey, <laughs> I mean, that was the gospel being preached to every creature. And it got some human creatures and it got some dog creatures and it got some other creatures. You know what? Whatever Jesus tells you to do, go do it. But create traditions to where you can have opportunities with people because you're going to be the opportunity. You're going to be the Jesus to someone. And I pray that this next generation, my, my Caleb and my Kaylee, that because we're putting into them that they're going to be the next generation that is going to be the greatest generation, just like we had before where they're not being selfless, but they're going to go forth and they're going to produce fruit, and that they're going to fix all the stuff that my generation and some of the other generations screwed up. Because we have. Just go look at Congress. There's not 15-year-olds up there. There's 70-year-olds acting like idiots. See, I, I really, I, I really when, when some people go, well, you know, those millennials, they're just not that great. I want to go, well, I blame the people before them. Because we can see the kind of idiocy that has led to some of the stuff that we have today. See, what we have to do is we have to put a new hope in this generation. And we need to be the people of God that does this. So create some traditions. The spirit of Christmas, Jesus himself wanted us to be able to touch people's lives. So go out and find ways of being able to do that for your family. Amen. Y'all learned something today. Amen, amen.